Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And a warning that there may be audio audio commentary and images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died. It's approximately 4.01 and we're going to be speaking first up with Samantha Connor who is a disability advocate and we've had Samantha on at various times um, over the years um, speaking with her about disability, people with disability and the issues affecting them. Now today we're going to be having a special interview with Samantha and we will be speaking with her about the Royal Commission, the Disability Royal Commission that's winding down. We're also going to be speaking about guardianship orders and trustees. What do we think about it? Um, and looking at, you know, what is actually fit for purpose here. So we'll be speaking with her first of all. And then after that, we will speak with Narita Waite, a proud Yorta Yorta woman and CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And we'll be speaking with her about a plan for Aboriginal justice in Victoria. And it's quite fitting, actually, to talk about that all year, but there is a Victorian election coming up specifically as well. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Monique Hurley, Managing Lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre, and we'll speak with Monique about questions that have been asked of Australia by United Nations Anti-Torture Watchdog. And that was last week. The Australian government is set to be questioned or I think is already being questioned as we speak by the United Nations Anti-Torture Watchdog on its compliance with the UN, UN's Anti-Torture Treaty, the Convention Against Torture. And we did speak with Monique some weeks ago now about that and we will speak with her again and look at some of the results of that and speak about the Four Corners um, show and what happened with the young people um, in prison. But first up, we will speak with Samantha. Join us for our second Incendium Radical Library and Collective IRL Zine Fair at Catalyst Social Centre this Saturday, gathering radical collectives, zine makers and libraries from across Nam, aimed at disrupting the settler colonial logic with works on abolition, decolonisation, sex work, First Nations, disabled and diaspora communities, plus more. From 2 to 5 this Saturday, 
and a fundraiser from 7pm with performances from Blood of a Pomegranate, Spores and Super Tart. Follow us on Insta at IRL Infoshop, IRL Zine Fair, this Saturday, November 26th at Catalyst Social Centre, 146 Sydney Road, Coburg. IRL, a 3CR supporter. And in case you've just tuned in, this is the Doing Time Show and 855 AM on the dial, 3CR. And you're about to hear an interview with Samantha Connor, disability advocate. And as I said in my introduction, we'll be speaking with her about the Disability Royal Commission and also guardianship orders. Hello, Samantha. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. It's lovely to have you. Now, I'm wondering if you could just start off just a little bit to introduce yourself and then we can talk about what's been going on with guardianship orders. Yeah, so um, my name's Sam Connor. I'm originally from Balladon country in Western Australia, currently in Victoria, and I've been travelling around, um, you know, doing a, um, a storytelling project and to lobby for the rights of people with disability. Recently stepped down as the president of People with Disability to our very competent Nicole Lee from People with Disability Australia. And so um, I'm in the role of shared vice president with another board member, so that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, so continuing to do that work, which is just shared important work with lots of other people with disability across Australia. Absolutely, and disability advocacy is, is so important, isn't it? Because often... Uh, people with disabilities specifically can't speak out for themselves. Absolutely. And there's so many different, you know, shared perspectives and viewpoints by people with disability. It's really important we have as many voices as we can. Absolutely. Given that the 3rd of December is coming up and it's the year's gone pretty quickly, hasn't it, Sam? Um, you know, with the International Day of Disability... Can you comment on what's happening with guardianship orders and maybe talk about some of, some of the issues there? Absolutely. So this week for the Disability Royal Commission, they're focusing on guardianship, which is a really, really important topic um, where we have the, um, um, the different public guardians and different public trustees and their work being interrogated and what it looks like for people with disability. Um, I think the stories that will come out this week will interrogate a range of different um, different issues and what people's treatment has been like. But we've had this thing called substitute decision-making for a long period of time where people with disability aren't given the opportunity to make their own decisions and to be supported in what we call supported decision-making models. Um, you know, we have other people making our decisions for us. And the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities says very, very strongly that we need to be able to have the opportunity to have full legal capacity and make our own decisions. So, yeah, so that, that's going to be the topic of conversation at the DRC this week. Guardianship orders are pretty tricky, you know, with the public trustees, aren't they, really? Yeah, they are, and especially right in the middle of a global pandemic, you know. So when we're talking about um, decision-making, you're not just talking about financial decision-making, you're talking about medical decision-making and health decision-making as well. So what does that look like if you're a person who is at risk of COVID, for example, and you um, would benefit from having vaccination and your parents, you know, who are substitute decision-makers, are people who don't believe in vaccination. So, you know, there's, there's some really burning life and death issues around this, you know, that we really need to have a, a national conversation about. 
So when you're talking about people with disability, do you, Sam, do you mean, what, I mean, what sort of, of disability would that be, for example, across the board, intellectual, physical, both? And, and also psychosocial, so people with mental health conditions are probably yes. one of the biggest groups, um, as well as older people living with dementia and living in aged care surroundings. Um, you know, people have got the right to um, to be given all of the information that they can and that they need to be able to make decisions, but also to have their communication rights upheld, to have people around them who know them and support them and love them, who can, you know, who can give input into, you know, making sure that they've got the ability to make those decisions. Um, some people will argue that, you know, that people, some people don't have the ability to make decisions by themselves, but we talk about people's will and preference is the term that we use. You know, so for people who have known other people for a, a long period of time and have their best interests at heart as well, um, it's important that we have all of those voices together so people can be supported to make their own decisions. And for people, for, for also caregivers not to be patronising as well, isn't it? Because often what tends to happen is like, I know of an example actually, Sam, could, could I run something past you here? Yeah, yeah. I think it would be really important for listeners to hear this, of um, a young woman who has an intellectual disability and a vision impairment and she loves to gamble. And mm. she won $29,000 and what happened was mm. she she spent most of it and that's her prerogative if she wants to do that. And, you know, people decided that she couldn't cope by herself, so they decided mm -hmm. to put her onto the public trustees. I mean, and then every aspect of her life was controlled, not just financial. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we quite often argue that, you know, guardianship takes people's rights away. I would argue that that's a very, very valid viewpoint. Um, you know, there's a thing called the dignity of risk. You know, you should just be able to make the same silly decisions that other people do. You know, and yes. we, we don't learn otherwise, you know. So, I mean, you know, just as people who have been in relationships with other people, you don't really learn, you know, about that ridiculous boyfriend until you've had five of those boyfriends or girlfriends and and then, you know, you make, you learn by doing. And so, you know, the dignity of risk means that we're not bubble-wrapped. Um, it means that, you know, for that young person who might have um, a gambling addiction, that they'd be able to be given support um, to resources, etc. Um, but they'd also be given support to other things like, you know, not just having an understanding of what how a gambling addiction might impact on their life, but also to have access to um, other things that might fill a bit of a void in someone's life if they're lonely, for example. So there's a, exactly. a bunch of different things that we could be doing. Absolutely. What about people in prison? How does that impact people with disability who are in prison? Yeah, that's a tricky thing. And it's trickier, I think, for people who are in prison because they don't have access to the same ranges of supports or services that you do on the outside as well. Um, people who are in juvenile justice centres and prisons and prison environments are you know, among the most disadvantaged people in the world. And obviously disability is something that's very prevalent in prisons as well. Um, it, it really is a, a huge, huge issue. Um, there's also people who are incarcerated in, well, incarcerated, but you know, in, in other settings, and they might be mental health settings. Um, some people have been in lifelong mental health settings, and they've never had the opportunity to get out. And what does that look like for people who, um, if you live in a, a mental health institution, um, you're under guardianship, and you have a you have money that's controlled. 
you know, you're, you're not able to make decisions like to go out and buy a new bra. You know, you, you don't have the same range of ability to do those things as well. But what does that look like when the state is looking after your finances and what does that look like in terms of, you know, you having the advocacy to be able to get out of that setting? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Sam, I couldn't hear you then. Are you there? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, that's better. Yeah, you're yep, gone. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, so that's a really interesting discussion to have, and it'll be really interesting to see what emerges from the Royal Commission. I mean, the Royal Commission's winding down, but has the work been done? Um, I would argue no. I'd really like to see the things for the Royal Commission. When you look at the work that's been done, I can see so many gaps, you know, that... The idea of the Disability Royal Commission is that we were able to tell our stories over a period of time, and that hasn't happened for a lot of people. And we've just heard recently in the last week that people who have registered by the date that when we were told to will not be given a private hearing um, to tell their stories, and I think that's unacceptable. You know, so I think we really um, need to perhaps look at extending the Royal Commission and to make sure that we need to do whatever we can do to make sure that Everybody who needs to tell their stories has got the opportunity to do so. I hope so. So it'll be really interesting to see what some of the findings that emerge from the Royal Commission. And if, can people still tell their stories or is it over? They can tell their stories by submission if they haven't put in for a private hearing um, until Christmas, I think, until December. So there is an opportunity to do that. And, um, yeah, I'd really strongly encourage them to have a conversation about extending it for another 12 to 18 months. Hopefully. Um, great. And if people can just Google the Royal Commission and, and get on the website there or um, or contact the relevant numbers. Yeah. yeah. Sam, thank you so much for coming onto the program. You, you sound a bit faint there, but I'm, I'm sure it's a very powerful interview. Um, and thank you so much for any final comments. Oh, look, just um, that's better. You know, solidarity to everybody at the moment who's you know we're in unprecedented times for people with disability, but I think we're also in unprecedented times in terms of rapid change. We really encourage people to have their make their voice heard in whatever way that they can. And thank you very much for being people who make it happen for people with disability too. Absolutely, it's been lovely having you, Sam, and I'd like to have you back again soon. Thanks so much. Right. Thanks so much, Rosa. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Join us for the 2022 edition of The Change, Definitions of Freedom, Interactive Theatre, 7 to 9pm on the 16th of December at the Honda Showrooms, Hoddle Street. We're also having an exhibition and preview from 5pm Thursday, 24th of November at The Store, Abbotsford Convent. Find out more on Facebook at The Change Definitions of Freedom. The Change is presented by United Struggle Project, a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Rest is Survival, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast. On 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm, we're talking about the role of rest in the anti-capitalist revolution. With programming by multiply marginalised disabled people and disabled broadcasters from the 3CR community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2022.
3CR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in how 3CR operates. Copies of the codes are available from our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. And you're back with the Doing Time Show and you just heard an interview with Samantha Connor. She is a disability advocate and we're going to be speaking now with Narita Waite, who's a proud Yorta Yorta woman and CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and she's been at Vales for almost a decade and has a vast amount of experience as both a lawyer and social justice advocate. And we're going to be speaking with Narita about the plan for Aboriginal justice in Victoria and the Victorian election is coming up and also there was a Four Corners show last Monday which actually had some really, really disturbing footage of young people, particularly Aboriginal children um, in Western Australian prisons. Hello, Narita. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Martha. It's so lovely to have you. Narita, yeah. I'm just wondering if you could just... Um, I know I always ask you this question, but it's so important for listeners to be clued in. Can you just tell us about what land you're from? Yes. Um, so um, through my maternal grandmother, um, I'm Yorta Yorta, and through my, my maternal grandfather, Pop, who's still alive, I'm not in Jerry, but I've um, grown up on Wurundjeri land here in Melbourne. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Marita. Now, could you talk about what's going on with the plan for Aboriginal justice in Victoria and some of the things that the legal service would really like to to do or implement? Yeah, so, um, of course. So, as um, Marissa, we've had many conversations, I think. Um, So, it feels like a number of years, but I might be wrong about the fact that just too many of our people are dying in custody and each of those deaths has a ripple effect through our communities, which creates a wave of grief and trauma that passes on through generations. And our plan for Aboriginal justice in Victoria is about combating um, that stem of trauma and grief to create better outcomes for all Victorians. Uh, because tough on crime politics has not made our community safer. Um, it's caused a lot of harm and it destroys lives, families and communities. Victoria spending on prisons and police is absolutely ridiculous and unsustainable and doesn't deliver on public safety or outcomes for communities. And those billions of dollars wasted on prisons and police could be so much better spent on secure housing, excellent healthcare, education and work that actually pays the bills. Um, and Vows' plan really comes from almost 50 years of experience. Um, we've always had a strong connection to our communities and we know Victoria's legal system. So our plan is really based on our clients' stories, their experiences, their voices. Um, and we hope the politicians will listen to us and commit to putting our plan into action because, frankly, we're the only people who have a plan for Aboriginal Victorians in terms of justice. And in that plan, what we're asking them to do is some really simple things. Building Aboriginal legal services our people deserve, 
bail reform, raising the age of criminal responsibility, police oversight and accountability, independent detention oversight, no more prisons, and a public health response, public intoxication, and a future for our kids, um, because enough's enough. And if people want more detail on the plan, please go to our website at bail.org.au to read the plan. Um, it's really simple, um, really easy to read, and I think really tells the story of what we need as a community. Absolutely, Narisha, and, and I, I really hope that you're also looking after yourself because you, you do a lot of really wonderful work there. You know, it's, it's not easy. Um, self-care is really important. Yeah, look, we try, um, but at peak times like this or they've got an election and you rock, um, it's all about getting through and we get through because we want to make the best outcomes we can for community. That means just pushing a little bit harder during those tough times and then easing off the pedal when you've got those lighter times ahead. Narita, can I just ask you one last question? Oh, can we on. talk about corruption and abuse in prisons? Because I think that's... Not a problem. There have been so many reports about corruption and abuse in prison and, Frankly. you know, even in regards to what happened with Veronica Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been no secret, Marissa, that for quite some time we've been pushing for independent detention oversight system in Victoria that's culturally appropriate for Aboriginal and other people. Um, because as you've seen in that report, and you've also cited Veronica Nelson, and there's many more, um, when a person is deprived of their liberty, they still have a right to be treated safely and humanely. There was no humane treatment in the way those little boys were treated. There was no humane treatment for Veronica Nelson. And there's just too many examples of torture and abuse when people are deprived of liberty in Victoria. And we need to shine a light on these places. You know, three Aboriginal people have died in Victoria's prison in the last 12 months, which adds to 520 Aboriginal and Torres Strait people who have died in custody since the Royal Commission to Death in Custody, which was, what, 91, 90? Um, and until we put in those oversight mechanisms, that accountability and that and really ensuring independence and transparency, you will not see meaningful action in this space. Um, and we've really dragged our feet because we signed up to OPCAT in 2017. Um, we didn't meet our deadline in order to implement the independent oversight mechanism. We asked for an extension. We're about to pass that extension because our systems and our governments just really don't want to do the work because really, if they do the work, they have to address the systemic problems that prisons create day in, day out. Absolutely. And, and, and in fact, what, what's actually quite appalling as well, Narita, is that IBAC found that corrections officers had used excessive force and conducted strip searches that breached official policy um, in regards to one incarcerated person with an intellectual disability. I mean, what's with that? Yeah, well, that's not uncommon. Um, that's, that's incredibly typical. In fact, there's a matter going before the High Court at the moment um, in relation to um, strip searching. The Court of Appeal decision wasn't that great um, or favourable. We're hoping for a better outcome in the High Court. And um, particularly women um, suffer, suffer horrendous trauma um, when going through strip searching because, as you, I'm sure, are well aware, many of them have uh, histories of abuse. Um, and events such like that are very triggering. Um, and for me, uh, you know, day in, day out, all we hear through our specialist practice um, in Wirraway are stories of abuse from corrections officers, from police officers, 
um, there's people who have coercive power um, over vulnerable people. And, you know, for me, it's not really, Marissa, just about independent oversight. It's also about saying no more prisons. You know, they just don't work. They don't rehabilitate people. Um, they're inherently violent and corrupt places. They're unaffordable and irresponsible and from an economic point of view. And um, we just, we're not getting anywhere with them. What we need to be doing is creating, you know, processes and systems and support networks in community so that people don't get to that really hard and desperate place that often leads them into incarceration. No more prisons indeed. Narita, thank you so much. I mean, really, people need to be on country, you know, not not in prisons. They need to exactly. be with their families. That's where they heal. Um, and that's why you see um, where those pockets of investment are and those place-based responses, fantastic outcomes. Because when people are connected to culture, kin and, culture, kin and family, you know that that's where their strength lies and that's what's going to make them heal and create a better future for themselves and for generations to come. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Narita. Not a problem, Marissa. You have a lovely afternoon. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show, or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Did you miss 3CR's broadcast of the inaugural historic first Trans Pride March Melbourne on Sunday 13 November? Perhaps you want to break a binary and listen to it again. Well, either way, you can. It's now available for listening at 3cr.org.au, Trans Pride March, Melbourne. Join in the historic occasion and support our trans and gender diverse communities here in Nam. 3CR Radical Radio, proudly supporting trans and gender diverse people as part of diversity in Nam. 3cr.org.au Trans Pride March Melbourne There are now 189 people on hunger strike. 62 have sewn their lips together, including two women and five children. For Woomera, this isn't an unusual day. We have an old saying in Persia that says, there is no darker colour than black. So we were in the camp, we have two options. Either deporting us to back to persecution, to prison, to death, or die in the camp. But I think you guys give us a third option, which is another try. They bent like half-cooked spaghetti. We didn't expect it to happen like that to the soundtrack of Amelie, a popular French movie at the time, blowing across the desert from dusty speakers. The fence began to fall under the weight of people wanting justice, under the weight of people that had had enough. 
Join us for Woomera Stories on Monday, November 21st and November 28th at 6pm on 3CR. Already they've set up camp only 200 metres from the Woomera Detention Centre's main gate. And in case people have just tuned in, this is the, the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And you just heard an interview with Narita Waite, who is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And we talked about um, the plan for Aboriginal justice, given that there is an election coming up in Victoria. And I also want to add, um, before I introduce Monique, that the Australian government ratified the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment in 2017. And OPCAT requires governments to establish independent detention oversight bodies. Um, so I just wanted to add that in because we were talking quite a lot about Aboriginal deaths in custody and the accountability. And we're going to be continuing a discussion like very similar with Monique. We had her on some weeks ago. Monique Hurley is the managing lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre and Australia is being questioned by United Nations Anti-Torture Watchdog. Hello Monique, welcome to the program. Hi Marissa, how are you? Good, thanks. (laughs) I'm losing my voice, but yeah, lovely to have you Monique. Thank you for having me, it's always really lovely to come on and chat. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Monique, what's what's been going on? I believe that there's been another media release um, put out by the Human Rights Law Centre about the anti-torture body. Can you update us? Of course. So um, the Human Rights Law Centre and the Natsals and the Change the Record Coalition put in a submission to... Um, the Committee Against Torture, who's the UN body responsible for, um, you know, providing oversight and making sure that countries comply with their obligations pursuant to the Convention Against Torture, so the UN's kind of anti-torture treaty. Um, and so we put in a submission and last week the Australian government was um, before the United Nations being questioned and being grilled on their, you know, how they how well they had done in terms of implementing the obligations pursuant to that treaty and you know where they were at in terms of how well they have done that or how well they haven't okay because i I, I believe there was there's quite a few things going on now I mean basically this review is happening at a time um, at a time when Australia's youth justice system is in a state of crisis and turmoil. Can you talk about Four Corners last week and maybe talk about what, what's been going on in Western Australia? Yes. So the questioning of the Australian government last week obviously came off the back of Four Corners last mm. Monday night, which shone a spotlight on some really horrific things that are going on in youth detention over in WA, um, you know, because of the... McGowan government's failure to take action and do things like raise the age of criminal responsibility and ban the detention of children in adult prisons. There's a real crisis over there in terms of children being pipelined into Banksia Hill Youth Prison, which is a really, really horrific um, environment where children are pretty regularly being subjected to 
really horrific treatment, um, which was part of what was on Four Corners and seeing the vision of, you know, children being hogtied by guards is really, it should distress us all and um, be a national shame. Um, And so that was some of the information that we used to brief the Committee Against Torture on in terms of bringing them up to speed on the kind of practical stuff that's happening on the ground in Australia that's really seeing children being treated really horrifically um, in the context of a broader youth justice system that's in a state of crisis. Um, I think it was last week also was five years since the findings were handed down in the Dondale Royal Commission, um, which was also something that Four Corners drew attention to all of those years ago now in terms of how children were being spit-hooded in prisons and how Dondale is a fundamentally um, ill-equipped place to be detaining children, and yet Dondale is still open and children are still being um, treated really horrifically there as well. You know, Monique, what's quite worrying here, thank you so much for summarising that, I don't know, it'd be great to talk about this, that the review, all this review comes a few weeks after the Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture was forced to suspend their visit to Australia. What what does that all mean in practice? So, really good question. And, yes, the subcommittee has suspended their visit. Um, the subcommittee does um, visits to countries who have signed up to OPCAT, which was the, the treaty that you mentioned at the start of this um, the start of this segment um, that's all about independent oversight of places of detention. So having essentially like ombudsman-type people who provide dedicated um, monitoring and inspections of prisons and youth prisons to shine a light on mistreatment in the hopes of preventing it from happening again. Um, And so, yeah, really embarrassingly and really shockingly, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, Australia's... You know, it's just it's it's really mind-boggling to think yeah. <laughs> the UN thinks that Australia is in such a bad state that they refuse to um, continue their visit here, and that was particularly because of being denied access to prisons in New South Wales and mental health wards in Queensland. Um, and so, yeah, particularly in prisons in New South Wales, it's really horrifying to think what might be going on up there that, you know, that no-one really has any visibility over at the moment. So none of these things were were documented then? So we and other NGOs working in the space briefed the committee on this and the government was asked um, a number of questions about different... Um, about different issues and they provided responses which were largely, um, you know, their responses were quite high level, quite vague and largely, um, you know, unsatisfactory in in our opinion. Yeah, because, I mean, there's so many issues here. I mean, I'm seeing here in the media release that the human the coalition including the human rights law center and change the record recommending to end mass imprisonment starting with raising the minimum age of criminal responsibility yeah absolutely we were really hoping that this would be an opportunity for the federal government um, 
led by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to signal a bit of a shift away from how um, federal governments had previously approached kind of United Nations mechanisms and international human rights standards. We've obviously come off the back of periods where the federal government has not been so interested in these things. And we are hoping um, that this that this review could be an opportunity to progress some of those reforms that we've been calling on for a really long time and that Narita probably just spoke to in the context of Victoria in terms of, um, yeah, ending mass imprisonment and that's starting with raising the age of minimum, raising the minimum age of criminal responsibility from at least, from 10 to at least 14 years old. You know, Monique, I just wanted to ask a question just in terms of background information here, just so that we can clarify this for listeners. Um, now, I believe that Change the Record, the Human Rights Law Centre and the Nationals made a joint submission to the Committee Against Torture, right, in respect mm-hmm. of Australia's compliance with Convention Against Torture. What is the Committee of Torture and where are they based? That's a good question. The UN um, processes are based over in Geneva um, and so... That's where this all happened last week. Like representatives from the Australian government went over to Geneva and presented before the committee. And the committee is made up of representatives from different countries around the world who are supposed to be anti-torture experts. Yeah, I, I really wanted to ask that. I mean, I know it probably sounds a very simplistic question, but it's probably useful at this point for, for listeners to really understand what that all means. I think it's a great question and I think that um, the United Nations can be really hard, yeah, the mechanisms can be really, really hard to engage with. You know, I'm a lawyer and I find them a bit confusing to to navigate and to understand who's doing what (laughs) and how effective they are as a mechanism for us to even be engaging with, I think is also a really big and important question. Um, So, no, I think that's totally fair. Exactly. How effective are they? I mean, you know, there's all these reports coming out you know, and yet children, you know, are being locked away in adult prisons in Western Australia and Victoria. And, you know, are governments across Australia supporting children to live their best lives? I mean, shouldn't we be reducing the number of children being pushed into prisons? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what um, us at the Human Rights Law Centre and the Naturals and Change the Record um, have, have told um the the committee and we're really hoping that they will shine the international spotlight on on those issues and particularly the need as you point out to reduce the number of people and children going into prisons in the first place um, and then there's a piece of work around making sure that people who are in those places aren't you know tortured or treated in really horrific ways. So did the Australian government appear in the end? before the committee? Yes. So there's two separate things going on at the same time that are connected. There's the subcommittee on the prevention of torture who were going to come and visit and have a look at the prisons and other places of detention. So that process is suspended. Um, And then there's a separate process where the Committee Against Torture asked the Australian government questions about their compliance um, with the treaty 
and that was over in Geneva last week. So that went ahead and the Australian government appeared and answered questions, including about OPCAT implementation. Well, indeed, this is just uh, a lot going on, isn't it, Monique? It's a lot going on in terms of, I think, a lot of people talking, but, like, it's really time for there to be some action. Um, and I think this is what you were getting at before in terms of there's a lot of talk. The Australian government goes over there and says we're facing all of these really complicated issues. Um, you know, we we need help figuring out what to do. It's really overwhelming. And it's like, well, I don't think it actually is. You've got organisations like ours um, and the, the people that we partner with regularly who are pretty clear and consistent on what needs to happen. And as you pointed out, it's ending mass imprisonment, raising the minimum age of criminal responsibility, fixing dangerous bail laws that funnel way too many people into prisons, particularly women, it's banning the detention of children in adult prisons and police watch houses. It's banning really practices that can amount to torture in prisons. We're talking about things like solitary confinement, routine strip searching and the use of spit hoods. And then it's about doing what we said we would do, which is implementing best practice oversight of prisons to shine a light on mistreatment and to help prevent human rights abuses in the first place. Most embarrassing, most embarrassing, Monique. Yes, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty shameful. And finally, the submission responds to Australia's state party report dated the 16th of January 2019 and that's already been considered now, hasn't it, by the Committee Against Torture on the 15th and 16th of November. So where to from here? So, yes, that was the report that was considered by the committee and it's quite yeah. a few years old because there'd been delays in that process due to the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. Um, and so from here, the committee is going to have a think about the information that the Australian government provided them with um, and then they will write up some... Uh, they write up a document that's called Concluding Observations, which will basically have what their thoughts and what their recommendations are in terms of what Australia could be doing better to comply with the Anti-Torture Treaty. Monique, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Have you got any final comments you wanted to make before we finish? Oh, no, thank you so much for having me on, as always, Marissa. Lovely to have you, and keep up the good work. You 
white walls Thinking where did we go wrong Was it really me Or maybe you all along Does she touch your ear like I used to She kiss you there like I used to Do you like it? Cause I'm in love Boy like you I hope you feel it too I hope you feel it too See the birds up in the tree You know that I just Wanna be Free I see the clouds up in the sky You know that I just Wanna fly High I know where you live And small child 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.